It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. I want to apologize in advance to you because uh, today's message is filled with examples and stories about food. If you didn't have a good breakfast, you might uh, get a little angry with hunger today, uh, also known as being hangry. Uh, So with that said, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, or should I say, at the end of the hall, where after the service we will gather for our fall celebration. The chili is being judged as we speak. Uh, The marshmallows are ready to toast. The cornhole is set. And if you did not get a chance to sign up to be a part of the cornhole tournament, there is still time to get involved in that. Everything is in place for uh, some great food and fellowship. As many of you know, Les Laux has entered his multiple award-winning chili into the competition. Although, I did see on the sign-up that Kimmy Laux also entered the competition. Did she follow through, Les, and bring a pot of chili? I believe she did. She did? And I am so proud of her. I am pretty certain that if you have any Laux blood running through your veins, you get amped pretty much for any type of competition. If you turn it into a competition, then, then there will be uh, great participation. I, I have brought an anonymous chili today. I did not mark it as my own because I have a complicated history in the chili cook-off. Um, I have been a champ and I have been a chump before. I am certain I have told parts of this story before, but uh, if you've already heard this, I apologize, but it bears uh, repeating. Um, one year I brought a chili to the cook-off that won the prize of spiciest chili. And I can remember how funny it was that year because, of course, Les won the grand prize champion. But I can remember standing on the platform next to him after I received my award and I could see in his eye that he was a little perturbed that he didn't also receive the spiciest chili prize. I've seen the way that man goes about making his chili, the preparation, the days, the pepper selection. Would you agree, Les, that you were a little taken back that you did not receive both grand prize and spiciest chili? I'll admit to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I rest my case. Another year, Eldon Sheets, my dear friend, had been designated as a judge, and I have always appreciated Eldon's forthright nature. I asked him that day what he thought of my chili, and he said, honestly, it was a little bland. (laughs) How the truth can hurt. Again, some of my chili will be up for grabs today, but you will never know, because if my chili comes out being bland again, uh, my heart can't take that truth, because it hurts. (laughs) Because you have to speak the truth, even if it hurts. Today's sermon is going to follow along with our celebration, and it makes a a bland pot of chili sound like a five-star entree. Um, Our sermon title, if you'll see on the back, is Death in the Pot. I don't know if you have ever had a soup or chili that was so bad that you felt the need to say there is death in the pot, but our scripture passage declares that that very thing happened. If you can find in your Bibles the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. 
the book of Second Kings begins with completion of Elijah's work as a prophet. Elisha asks Elisha what he might request of him, and Elisha requests a double portion of his spirit, his wisdom. Sometime after this, the two are out on a walk, and Elijah is taken up in the chariot of fire, leaving Elisha behind. Our passage today depicts an event that took place early on in Elisha's solo work. We find Elijah with a group of people, a company of prophets, sitting down to eat dinner. Now, there are some extenuating circumstances surrounding this meal that leads to the proclamation of death in the pot. We will find that this passage is not filled with just some poorly cooked meal or a meal that doesn't meet up to expectations. I am sure you have had plenty of dinners like that that may have missed the mark. I have made plenty of dinners in my life, including a bland pot of chili, uh, that did not meet up to expectations. And my wife could easily argue that I have created death in a pot at least once or twice in our married life. I remember early on in our marriage, things were going very well. But you deal with the adjustments of living with someone you have never lived with before. You have your routines. You have how you work out to blend those things together. You have your traditions, your social mores, if you will. One thing that Andrea lamented early on in our marriage was having a home-cooked meal. I was game at that time to eat out every night if it was justified. And you could find me at usually at four different places, Taco Bell, Applebee's, Subway, or Jack in the Box. It wouldn't be unreasonable for me to eat at either of those restaurants twice in the same day. Um, I used to go to Jack in the Box between church services on Sunday mornings. I would volunteer at the beginning of the first worship service at my church, drive to the Jack in the Box and get a cheeseburger, a chicken sandwich, and two tacos. Um, And then I would make it back for the second service before it was all said and done. That was a breakfast meal, by the way, because, as you know, Jack in the Box serves their entire menu 24-7. Eating out was no problem for me any time, any day. Matter of fact, the first day Andrew and I ever went on was to a Subway, where I inhaled a 12-inch steak and cheese sandwich while she watched in shock, uh, in part because she ate before she even got in the car. That's typical for a first date, right? But when you are so accustomed to eating out on the regular, you don't often think about a sit-down, home-cooked meal. Andrew mentioned to me once, I just really like to have a nice home-cooked meal. And I said, speak no more. I will make you a home-cooked meal. So I, what did I do, you might ask? Well, I'm going to tell you. I started out with one pound of ground beef cooked on the skillet to perfection. Then I opened the box of Hamburger Helper. <laughs> separated the noodle packets from the seasoning packets, followed the instructions. Now, by the way, I could have used chicken or tuna or whatever sort of meat I wanted, but I chose ground beef. Put them all together, served it. Voila, home-cooked meal. She was not impressed, and I'm not sure what the deal was. I cooked that meal at home. That, by definition, is a home cooked meal. What is this made-from-scratch business that people are talking about? I am pretty certain that she 
uh, viewed that meal as death in a pot because we don't very often have hamburger helper, if ever. Um, I think she might have thought I was trying to kill her, honestly. Uh, But I found it quite delicious. Even still, uh, the death in the pot that we're going to look at today is entirely different. Uh, Would you stand as we read uh, from 2 Kings chapter 4? We're going to begin with verse 38 and conclude through verse 41. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 38 through 41 says this, Elijah returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, and they began to eat it. They cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Elijah said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you are in the business of transforming and changing things and changing lives. Speak to our hearts today as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What a story. A major prophet coming into the community of Gilgal. And he has come to meet and dine with the company of prophets. The only problem is that there is a famine. The food that is available is slim pickings. Yet Elijah says, let's fire up a tasty stew. As I think about this passage, I want to focus on one particular character in this story. This person is not named in the text and is only mentioned uh, as one of them. This is the individual who is tasked with finding some food to cook a nice meal. Now, I would argue that this is a challenge on the best of days. You got a prophet, you got a big-time prophet, you got a company of prophets. It's a challenge to cook a nice meal. It's a challenge to cook a nice meal for a large group of people, unless you're Charity Morales, because she's got a large group of people at her house always. So they make... Like to feed 24 for just regular breakfast. Am I correct? Yes, it's true. Well, maybe not so much these days since they're all grown up. But, um, but if I need a big meal planned, if I need a big entree, I'm going to charity. Because she'd be like, yeah, I can put together rice to feed 40. No problem. It'll be awesome. But this, this is, a, this is an insurmountable task. When the land is flowing with milk and honey and food is found in plentiful, it's still a challenge. But this, this poor soul was given the insurmountable task of providing a tasty meal in the midst of a famine. And right from the get-go, we see his initial mistake. He did not ask of the Lord in his time of need. He could have started right from there saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to feed these people and I need your help. But he did not do that. He ventured out on his own to try to figure out what he could do to make this meal happen. I feel that we can all admit that there are times when we too find ourselves in a similar situation. We neglect to ask of the Lord. 
Instead of coming to God from the get-go, when do we often seek his aid? When things have blown up in our faces, when our troubles and and oftentimes our self-inflicted difficulties have left us without a means to see ourselves through. Too often we find ourselves asking God to come in and clean up the messes that we have made. And the word of God affirms that it benefits us to ask of God first to seek him out right from the get-go. Both the Old and New Testaments affirm this notion. We find this in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who hope is, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Perhaps this unnamed individual would have experienced the good of the Lord in his quest for food if he had sought him out in the first place. Jesus himself affirms the virtue of asking in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. In both instances seeking out God. (coughs) My apologies. Asking for his presence. His help in our day to day lives. Is a virtue worth remembering. We should ask for God's power, his presence, his protection in any and every circumstance, in every need we have, especially in light of the promise given to us from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, 19 through 20. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the key. He will meet all our needs. Maybe not all of our wants, but our needs, for sure. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That may mean that our needs are not met in the way we have intended. But we might might not see that until our needs have been fulfilled properly. But if we are honest with ourselves, sometimes this notion is easier said than done. If we are humble enough to admit, uh, we often fall into the next trap. We use our own strength to come up with a hasty solution. Our thesis statement implores us not to do anything in haste. Our quote comes from Treebeard, an ent, a tree herder who made his home in the forest of Fangorn in the heart of Middle Earth. While in the company of the hobbits, Marriottach, Brandybuck, and Peregrine Took, Treebeard and the entire race of the Ents had to make a decision about whether or not to go to war with Saruman of Isengard. For the hobbits, the decision was set and easy, simple, and clear. But for the Ents, the decision had to be made (coughs) with great consideration, without letting their emotions decide the path they should take. This is why Treebeard tells the hobbits, and I won't uh, say it, In the slow, tree-beard voice I use for my children when I'm reading The Lord of the Rings, he says, We must not be hasty. I have become too hot. I must cool myself and think, for it is easier to shout stop than to do it. Sound advice for anyone who faces a challenging decision or a tough problem. If only our poor unnamed chef had not been so hasty. 
He wanders about looking for anything he can find to put into the stew. In verse 39, it states that our poor adventurer found a wild vine with some gourds growing on it. So he did the most reasonable thing and pulled up his cloak and grabbed as many as he possibly could. And when he brought them back, he cut them up and threw them in the stew. The key part here, I think, is that our text says, no one knew what they were. What a red flag. (laughs) How easy is it to get in trouble when you are dealing with something you don't know or understand? Last year, uh, my family took an amazing family vacation to the northern California coast uh, to check out the Redwoods. It is an amazing place to see beautiful coastal drive surrounded by these enormous trees. But one of the things that you don't fully understand until you get on the hiking trails is the danger that comes from plant life. Who can identify poison oak in this house? One thing that my kids had never seen was a warning sign for poison oak. This seemingly innocuous plant can admit a chemical that causes an allergic reaction in your skin. This will result in a rash with blisters and all sorts of unnecessary pain. So when we were wandering... Through the great trees of Redwood National Park, we also weren't cozying up to any of the plant life that was on the forest floor. Knowledge is power. And we didn't touch anything that might have caused harm. Our unnamed chef, he did not heed this advice. Looking for anything to put in the stew, he arguably did what he could. He grabbed the first thing he could find, looked him over and said, These look good, and made a meal and served it to the guests. They began to eat, and they realized that something was terribly, terribly wrong. Have you ever tried to eat through a meal that you did not like because you didn't want to be rude to the host? Years ago, when Andrew and I were still dating, I was invited over to her home uh, to eat enchiladas with her family. I love enchiladas. You feed enchiladas, I am there. But at the time... I had only ever had enchiladas with red sauce. I was not aware, um, because I only ate my enchiladas at the Acapulco in Caldwell, I was not aware that you could fill your enchiladas with other sauces, like sour cream sauce. Now, some of you are like, oh yeah, sour cream sauce, I'm all about that, but not me. See, if you know me... Um, you will know that sour cream is on my list of things that I don't like. Now, there is no rhyme or reason to this list. I don't like sour cream, but I like whipped cream. I don't like cream cheese, but I like nacho cheese. Uh, I don't like mayonnaise, but I like ranch dressing. So there's no rhyme or reason. It doesn't make any sense. And, And if I'm being really honest, I would like to like all of those things. But I just can't. I can't do it. But I was a relatively new participant in the Ryan family gatherings, and I would never be so rude as to refuse a legitimate home-cooked meal. So when I received not one, but two of those sour cream enchiladas on my plate, I ate them both. And I will freely admit that I have never eaten faster, because it was a mad dash to shove that baby in get it down my gullet before my gag reflex would kick in. 
but I did it. And I said, thank you, but no more for me, please. (laughs) Unfortunately, the company of prophets, they were not so kind like I was to my future family. They refused to eat the stew, crying out to Elijah, man of God, there is death in the pot. Our chef's masterful creation made on his strength based on literally what he could throw into the pot had caused an even greater problem than if he had done nothing at all. How frequently we find ourselves using our own strength, our own resources, our own wisdom to tackle challenges and solve problems. We pridefully assume we have everything we need to figure it out when we neglect the great resources of our God. Have we forgotten what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.25, that the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Even God's hypothetical worst is better than the absolute very best we can give. Paul furthers this notion that we can face the tough stuff in life, not because of our own stick to but because of God's abiding presence with us. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all this, not on my own strength, through him who gives me strength. Paul recognized his dependence on God through Jesus Christ. This is the same dependency that Jesus shared with his disciples when he told them the metaphor of the vine. John 15, 5 says this, Jesus tells the disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus did not say, apart from me, you can do some things or If you're strong enough, you can maybe figure out a few things on your own. No, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But yet we fall into the trap of our own pride, trying to make our own way, trying to see ourselves through, taking the tasks and the responsibilities on our own shoulders. The best metaphor that I could think of uh, for using our own strength instead of relying on God's strength is a physical activity known as the barbell bench press. Now, I will look to Les Laux and others amongst the crowd for their expert opinions because I don't know if you can tell, but the bench press is not a part of my regular workout routine. You're not coming to the gun show at my house because there are no (laughs) guns to show. But I do know... Enough about the bench press to know not to do it. No, just kidding. To know that when it comes time to lift your maximum weight, when you max out on the bench press, there is one component that is essential to be safe and successful. And can you tell me what that component is? I heard it. Spotter. You need a spotter. The spotter is another person. They stand over you. They're ready to help pull that bar back up onto the rack if you are not able to lift it back up on your own. Now, be honest, because you're in church. Is there anybody in here who has done a bench press 
and done a little more weight than they should without a spotter. Yeah, right? Yes. If you haven't seen that, you can go online because there are videos. They're called bench press fails. And most of the time, what ends up happening is the lifter's arms, they get it, they get the bar off, they bring it down, and then somehow, like, it's not coming back up. So the bar, invariably, what happens is their arms give out and the bar comes to rest on their chest. Um, and then they sit there for a little bit. And then the panic sits in as the weight from the barbell starts to bring the bar down towards the neck. Where it comes to rest on the one thing that creates the main pathway for your body to breathe. Not having a spotter can mean life or death, but you can still find plenty of people who are willing to throw the plates up on the bar and get onto lifting at the risk of their own peril. But yeah, check them out, because there's a couple of videos where this guy's like, one guy's like, Siri, call Jason. Like, Jason is not going to save you, dude. I don't know who your friend Jason is, but he is not going to get there in time to save you from what's about to happen. Bench press fails. Check them out. What often happens is we go without the spotter in our spiritual life. We think we can lift through whatever we're facing on our own. Instead of asking for God's help in the beginning, we end up asking him again to help us clean up the messes we have made. Thankfully, even with our own shortcomings, the Lord is always ready to come to those who call for help whenever they ask. The Lord is always ready to steer us on the right track. Our text notes again that no one would eat from the death in the pot. But Elisha had a plan, a secret ingredient plan. Does anybody have a secret ingredient when you cook something? Is it an ingredient that's a little unexpected? There is an article uh, on food.com. It's titled 27 Secret Ingredient Recipes. And some of the ingredients are rather interesting. There is one recipe that uses cream of chicken soup as a batter ingredient for fried chicken. The review says it's the best fried chicken ever. Um, Another recipe adds cayenne pepper to a batch of chocolate chip cookies. Now, I'm going to look to uh, Dustin Rhodes today because his mother... Uh, is a chocolate chip cookie baking fiend. Uh, If you have not had uh, her cookies, you do not know what life is like. Agreed, (laughs) Dusty? Yes. Have you ever had cayenne pepper in your mom's cookies? I haven't asked the recipe. Never. Never. Like, that doesn't seem... I, I, I can't get behind the whole sweet and heat kind of thing going there. That's just not for me. Don't get this big by being big. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. The, the big one that I really thought was interesting was um, chocolate cake with sauerkraut. The review says, now I quote, the sauerkraut makes the cake moist and delicious. If you don't tell anybody what is in it, they will never know. Quite unexpected. Now, back in our pot of death, our text notes that Elijah had the perfect solution to make this meal edible. He had this amazing secret ingredient that would work its way through the whole meal. 
changing the death-filled pot into something that would sustain the entire company, something that would be tasty even in the midst of famine. Actually, in all truth, he had no magical ingredients. Our scripture reads, Elijah said, get some flour. There's nothing magical about flour or, or meal as it is translated in the King James. I would argue that flour is the most common, most boring ingredient that we have in the kitchen. Nobody has ever tried a meal and has been like, ah, oh, this texture is good, but I think it could use a little more flour. Or what this meal needs is a nice topping of flour. Or I'll be right back. I'm going to get some more flour from my steak. Flour is bland. It's boring. It's simple. It's a grain that has been ground into a powder. It's about as plain Jane as you can get. Yet in the hands of the prophet, it was the perfect remedy for the pot. Our text concludes he put it into the pot and said... Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. The Beacon Bible Commentary summarizes this text very well. You'll see it in your bulletin. The power of God again was manifested through Elijah as he added some meal to the pot and the food was made safe. The Lord is always ready to steer us on the right track. There was nothing special about flour. You could argue as well that there was nothing special about Elijah either. This was work done by the power of God manifested through Elijah as the Lord used his strength to turn insignificant, simple things into tools for God's purposes. The 138th Psalm, verse 3, says this proclamation. From the King James Version, it says, In the day when I cried, thou answeredst me and strengthenedst me with strength. In my soul, like our unnamed chef, Elijah knew who to seek out first. He could have responded in a human way and sent the company back out to find better ingredients. Maybe find some more spices or chips. He could have gone out himself and searched high and low to find something to counteract the potency of the gourds like a witch doctor. But Elijah realized the gravity of the situation he was in. And he knew that there was nothing he could do on his own to alleviate the circumstances. He knew he would need God's help. And he trusted God. And he used what was available to him. And God did the rest. God did the work through Elijah. Again, if we are all honest with ourselves, we all fall prey to the same pitfall that our death chef fell into. When facing problems or challenges, we often fail to come to the Lord first. We rely on our own strength. We make hasty decisions and things get worse. So often when we have reached the end of our rope, then and only then do we come to God for help, for wisdom, for guidance, for strength. The testimony of Elijah today is to come to God first. Just because... The power of God, just because, because just like the power of God was manifested through Elijah, his power can manifest itself in us to give us the power or wisdom or courage to do whatever it is that we need to do, to face whatever it is that we need to face, to overcome whatever we might need to overcome. Trust God. Use whatever you have available to you. And allow God to do the rest because his strength, 
His power, His love is enough to meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. If you're a guest with us today, uh, let me say that we are just so blessed to have you among us today. And we would like to feed you today. So don't try to run off. We've got lots of delicious chilies uh, for you to try. And we'd love for you to come back and experience the great love and fellowship that exists here in the hearts of this church family. If you do not have a church home, we would love for you to make our church your home. And again, if you're joining us online, uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, We won't be sending you any chili today, but uh, we are so thankful that you are here. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.